Good morning, everybody. <laughs> nice. I'm going to be reading from John 21, 1 through 14. Stand with me as we read the scripture here before Ben comes up and gives us the word. Here we go. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus revealed was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Yes, yes, feel free to have a seat. Hello, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited about this story. A couple quick um, addendums to our announcements before I begin. Um, this is something super important that we want to make sure we hit again, which is um, this is a little Christmas Eve service survey, which you can find. Hopefully you got one when you came in, but if you didn't, you can find them at the back on the table by the stairs. Um, and we are just wanting to know for our community, what's the best time to have our Christmas Eve service? Uh, this is just a few Saturdays away, if you can believe it. So uh, we'd love to, to get your opinion. There's a couple different options on here. Just check the one that you would prefer for your time. Um, and, uh, and once you've done so, we will expect to see you. Th- no, I'm just kidding. But really, uh, we want to know what works for you so most people can come. Um, I, also, uh, I also just want to uh, reiterate everything Hannah said about the chimes. This is my opportunity because this is my production company. Um, uh, this is what I do for a living, if you don't know. I'm an actor. In fact, I'm going to leave here today and go perform another show somewhere else. Um, and uh, this company is remounting this show. We've been invited to remount it out at George Fox University. And while we're at it, we thought, why not do a show in Portland at this place I love so much, um, this, this church that I love so much, um, and 
and turns out, uh, actually, this particular performance is selling very well. So please get your tickets soon. Uh, and the cool thing is it's selling very well among people who are not normally church people, um, which is great because it, it is just a, a production that's for everybody. But how cool would it be if we got to mingle with people in our community who wouldn't normally come in, in the doors of our church uh, on that particular evening? So I hope you can come. It's a really beautiful, beautiful story. I know it will bless you. Um, speaking of stories, uh, whenever I read passages in, in the Gospels, uh, I'm kind of like, I go into actor mode, and I'm like, let's think about the characters, let's think about their motivation, let's think about like, what's going on, and why they're doing this, and, and oh, that's interesting that they would say it like that. And, and this story in particular in John 21 is such a funky little story, isn't it? It's, it's kind of odd to me when I think about it, because... Uh, let's like let's what we call in the theater the given circumstances. Let's talk about the given circumstances of this story. So Jesus has been walking around with these dudes for three and a half years, teaching them the ways of God, the kingdom of God, and um, and and doing pretty incredible things in front of them, healing people, raising people from the dead, providing food for thousands upon thousands of people, doing unbelievable stuff, controlling nature many times, um, and and he's doing all this stuff with his disciples over the course of years. And he seems to be talking as if he is going to one day take over worldly authority and rule on earth over all earthly rulers. And so they have it in their minds like, yeah, this is gonna happen sometime. We're gonna see Jesus like take over, set up the good kingdom under the good king and all will be well. And just as they think that's about to happen, Jesus seems to lay down his weapons. Jesus seems to put up his hands and say, you can take me and do with me what you will. And of course, the powers, the rulers, the authorities of the, the earthly authorities around him uh, immediately arrest him. Uh, they, they put him on a fake phony trial. They, they brutally beat him and ultimately murder him. Oh, baffling, odd, crazy, disheartening. And then, as we've seen, um, he comes back to life. The dude like comes back to life, shows up to his disciples, walks through a locked door and says, peace be with you to his disciples. He's like, he's like appeared in this new glorified sort of existence. He's not just like come back from the dead, but he's come back from the dead with superpowers this bizarre turn of events. And now he's gonna make another appearance to his disciples. And at this point in the story, you're like, oh man, they thought they got the hero down, but he busted out of the grave. And then he starts appearing with all these miraculous, in all these miraculous ways, and it's incredible. And he's just gonna keep ratcheting it up. And you almost expect by John 21 that his appearance is gonna be like a thunderbolt from heaven. And it's gonna like singe the side of the lake. And when the smoke clears, there's gonna be Jesus with like lightning eyes and like, I have come. I I am here. But what actually happens? Well, they're, they're doing what they do. They're fishermen, so they're fishing. They're working. They're at, they're at work. And it's been an awful day at work. They got nothing done. They worked and worked and worked and worked and didn't actually catch a thing all night long. These guys worked the graveyard shift. 
And as the sun is coming up and they're just ready to go home, somebody is standing, some little figure is standing on the shore and yelling at them and tells them, hey, why don't you try a different method of fishing? (laughs) I know you've been at this your whole life and all night long. Why don't you try something new? And they do and have a ton of fish and somebody's like, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. This is the moment. Cue lightning bolts. Cue lightning eyes. It's time. Instead, they get to shore and what does Jesus do? Come have breakfast. Come, come on. I have this fire going. Bring some fish. Let's have breakfast. And he takes the bread and he hands it out to them. And he takes the fish and he hands it out to them. And, and they have Breakfast. They've had a hard day at work. Jesus shows up and they share a meal. And then it says in verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus doesn't seem terribly interested in this particular encounter with blowing anybody's mind. He seems interested in sharing a meal with these hardworking men who have just had a really tough night. Odd. He's just beaten death, sin, and hell. He's come back to life with powers we cannot even imagine. And here he is doing something very, very ordinary. Something you probably do every day or maybe most days or maybe you're not a breakfast eater, I don't know. But eating, hopefully that's something you do daily. Doing something very ordinary. And it's so odd to me that like in this moment, there, there is a miracle that happens, right? There is a miracle going on here. In fact, it's a miracle we've seen before. But, but if we look at the character of Simon Peter, he doesn't seem terribly interested in that miracle. They're like hauling this massive net of fish. They're like, whoa, it's a miraculous catch of fish. And somebody's like, I think that's Jesus. And Peter's like, it is, see ya. And just goes swimming towards the shore doesn't seem terribly interested in the theatrics of the moment. He seems really terribly interested in the person standing on the shore. So he jumps in the water and swims to him. In fact, a lot of these moments in this story are kind of, they kind of harken back to things we've already seen throughout the story. I mean, these guys are on the water at the Sea of Galilee fishing, or the Sea of Tiberias, also called the Sea of Galilee, they're fishing. This is actually where they first met Jesus. Do you guys remember this story? These men were fishermen and Jesus came up and and did some teaching. And in Luke chapter 4, he actually does some teaching from inside Simon Peter's boat. There's such a crowd on the shore that he's like, hey, Simon, can I get in your boat? You put out like maybe 10, 15 yards from the shore and I'll teach from there so everyone can hear me. Okay, I'm going to like back up a little bit so that they they don't kind of crush in and no one can hear. And so he teaches, he does all his preaching. And then before they go into the shore, he turns to Simon. He's like, hey, let's go out further and do some fishing. And Simon's like, listen, I have been doing this all night long and have not caught a single fish. Sounding familiar? And he's like, just trust me on this. Put out even further. So so Simon and Jesus go further out into the shore or out into the uh, into the water and 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 they they do the fishing. They put down their nets. And it's a, of course a miraculous catch of fish. The the nets are full to bursting. They're starting to break. There's so many fish. And Simon Peter in Luke chapter 4 sees this and responds by falling to his knees and saying get away from me Lord I'm a sinful man same event similar event very different response from Simon Peter 
Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man versus, hey, I think that's the Lord and jumping over the side to swim as fast as he can to Jesus. Very different response, very similar event. Likewise, um, there's this, this moment on the shore where it says this. So Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, 153 large fish. The nets were not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come here and have breakfast. None of the disciples asked him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Jesus is feeding them bread and fish. Huh, where have we seen this before? Well, we've seen Jesus feed a few thousand people with bread and with fish. We've seen Jesus do that and then talk about how he himself is the bread of life. Interesting. But yet after that moment in John chapter 6 when he feeds the thousands and says, I am the bread of life, come down from heaven and you can feed on me and you will live. After he says that, his disciples have this moment of going, who is this guy? Is this who, who is this guy? What is he talking about? What is really going down here? What does this teaching actually mean? I am the bread of life. And yet in this version, none of them dared ask him, who are you? They knew. Similar event, very, very different response. There's also a moment just like a couple chapters earlier where Jesus did another taking and giving. You guys remember this one? Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, and says, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes the wine and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And he, he like passes around, he breaks and passes around the sustenance to his disciples. Again, very similar event, but they seem to be experiencing it in a different way. They're quietly receiving. They're not asking all the questions. They seem to have understood something. Similar event, different response. This is really interesting to me on so many levels because um, it is just a very like humdrum ordinary story. And yet the disciples seem to be experiencing the ordinary, the ordinary everyday humdrum mundane encounters with Jesus in a brand new way. They seem to have different eyes, a different mindset, a different way of seeing the circumstances of the world around them. And I find so much hope in the fact that this is just a normal work day, that these guys are on their lunch break and Jesus shows up and says, come have breakfast. I find so much comfort in the moments in the Bible where like nothing mind-blowing is happening and people are just with Jesus. Why do I find comfort in that? Well, well I, think, I think it's important to know that like miracles happen. In fact, in January, I think, am I letting the cat out of the bag if I do this? Is it okay? I think in January, we're gonna do a series on miracles. We're gonna talk about like the miraculous happens. The supernatural occurs. Thank God. I need there to be help and hope and power beyond what I can see and touch and feel and know. I need that to be true. Thank God that miracles happen. But to be honest with you, most of my life is not miracle. 
I'm not somebody, just personally, this might make you think I'm slightly less spiritual, I don't know. I'm not somebody who has like supernatural occurrences I can point to in my life. I'm not somebody who like has seen angels coming through the ceiling. I, that's not, this is not my story. I'm not somebody who like, who like can specifically point to just like miraculous healings that I've seen or experienced in my life. Where I'm like, that's for sure the supernatural breaking in in a moment, super dramatic, super theatrical. This is like for sure supernatural. I can't point to that in my own life. In fact, most of the time, I don't even have like elevated spiritual emotions. Most of the time, I'm not like, I'm not all like often getting goosebumps. Like it's, if you know me, you know that like I cry at the drop of a hat. That's just, I think that's an actor thing, an artist thing. I don't think that has to do with spirituality at all. But I think, but I'm not somebody who like um, uh, has, has ever even like experienced uh, the, the, um, the sign gifts of the spirit. Like, like I, I, I would love those things. I believe in those things. I think that they, these are true, good gifts from God, speaking in tongues and prophecy and this sort of thing. I'm just not somebody, as I've asked for those gifts, I'm not somebody who has received those gifts. And maybe you're like, oh, this is, oh, why is this guy preaching? I don't know. Is he spiritual enough? I find great hope in this story because there is no theatrical, dramatic, supernatural moment. It's just dudes in a normal work day eating breakfast with Jesus. And even if you are someone who experiences the supernatural quite, quite regularly, which is such a gift, good, I'm so glad that you do, I think you'd probably agree with me that 90% of your life or more is not the dramatic supernatural. 90% of all of our lives more, 99% of all of our lives is getting up feeding the pets, going to work, doing the dishes, taking out the trash, watching TV with our family and friends, going to different Christmas parties, coming to church. Like this is the stuff of life. And you know what I'm really thankful for is that the risen Jesus enters into those moments. The risen Jesus meets me at the breakfast table. Oh. The risen Jesus meets me on my walk to church. The risen Jesus meets me as I'm at work in the theater later this afternoon. The risen Jesus meets me first thing when I get up out of bed in the morning. The risen Jesus is washing dishes by my side. The risen Jesus is taking care of my sick cat with me. The risen Jesus enters into the ordinariness, the humdrum, the mundane of my existence. And the crazy thing about this story is not that Jesus comes in with guns ablazing, it's that his disciples, for once, have eyes to see him in the ordinary. They recognize him, it is the Lord. They don't miss the point. They don't miss the moment. They don't miss the person. 99% of my life is ordinary, humdrum, and kind of just like plain Jane, kind of boring. Just everyday life. I mean, it's, actually, I love my life. It's not, don't feel sorry for me. It's great. But it's just ordinary. 99% of my life is ordinary. 98% of that 99%, I would say I miss 
the risen Jesus who is present in the ordinary with me. And when I read this story, I think, what would it be like to just wake up to a few more moments of his presence each day? What would it be like to really believe what Jesus tells his disciples right before he goes back into heaven, right at the end of the gospel story? What would it be like to believe that I, when he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age? Always. I think he means always. In the ordinary, in the humdrum, in the mundane, at work. In in all the obligations, cleaning my house, Jesus is there. What would it be like for me to really believe and live as if I believed what the Apostle Paul says when he says, in God we live and breathe and have our being. In God I live and I breathe and I have my being. Everything I do, I'm swimming in the presence of God if I have eyes to see. What would it be like to believe Paul in Colossians chapter one when he says Jesus Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so to look at the ordinary pieces of my ordinary life and go all of this is held together in the hands that were pierced with nails for my sake. Jesus, the resurrected Christ is here and the ordinary becomes blessed. The ordinary becomes blessed quite extraordinary so how did they do this like how how did his disciples for once have eyes to see like they couldn't I love this because there were stories in the gospels where the disciples couldn't catch who Jesus was even when he did do something extraordinary like like there's that moment when he calms the storm and they all look around they're like wait who is this who's this guy he can calm the storm and they're like freaked out a little bit there's that moment where like Jesus feeds the thousands and then his disciples are worried because they forgot to bring bread in the boat with them and they think Jesus is mad and Jesus is like, okay, well, um, how many did I feed with the, the loaves? And they're like, oh, several thousand. And Jesus looks at them and he's like, so do you still not understand? Do you still not get it? Like they were watching miraculous events and it wasn't cluing them in to who this was and what was going on. And how wonderful to watch them finally see who he is in the presence of, in the midst of an ordinary day, an ordinary work day. They seem to have different eyes, a different lens. They seem to be able to see what they could not see before. And as somebody who lives 99% of my life in the ordinary and every day, I want to know how they did it how do I have those eyes how do I see God in my everyday how can I finally also see Jesus at the breakfast table and I think there's a couple clues in here like I want to be really careful I don't I think most of the Bible is story is narrative and I don't think we're meant to over principalize it and systematize it but I think in this story there's a few things that might be helpful for us Um, especially when it comes to the character of Simon Peter Simon Peter is one who just tried so hard to understand who Jesus was and got it wrong so much of the time. And Simon's had kind of a fraught relationship with Jesus from the beginning, but, but really like wanted in, like wanted to be close, wanted to, but it's never quite been, you know, the, the, the guns ablazing, like exciting glory kind of thing. Um, I don't know why I keep saying guns, guns ablazing, guns ablazing, whatever. Uh, Simon Peter is in the boat where he was when he first met Jesus. It's probably the same boat, actually, where he first met Jesus. And uh, something very similar happens, the miraculous catch of fish. 
And what's interesting is, is Simon's response in Luke chapter 4 is to fall on his knees and cry out, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. As in, we're in the boat in the middle of the lake, something just happened, it's made me instantly think about how messed up I am, and I want you, Jesus, to get out of the boat and go off to, sh- to shore, like go get away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And here, in, in this moment, um, and the miraculous catch of fish happens. He realizes it's the Lord. And instead of saying, oh, I'm a sinner, I, I need you to go away from me, he says, I need to close the distance between us. And, and the crazy thing is, like, in Luke chapter 4, we, we haven't seen, like, we were, we're not told anyway that Simon has had any, like, big major failures lately. But in John 21, we're told that Simon has had a big failure lately. Like a chapter and a half earlier, Simon has denied Jesus three times after swearing that he wouldn't and gone out from the courtyard and it says wept bitterly. He had wept bitterly over his brokenness, his failure, and his sin. It was fresh in his mind. And yet his response to seeing Jesus in that moment was not, I'm a sinner, get away. It was, there's Jesus, let me close the distance. This is really interesting because um, the fact that Simon in chapter 4 of the book of Luke is aware of his sin tells me that he's a pious, religious, spiritual man. He's not clueless <clears throat> to the things of God. He knows what right and wrong is and he knows that he hasn't been living rightly. And there seems to be a desire in him to, to be clean, to be cleansed, to be better from his sin. And so we can look at his response, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, as like sort of a pious thing. A sort of a thing that's like, oh, wow, how spiritual of you, Simon. How spiritual, yeah, to know your sin and to say that Jesus shouldn't be near you because of your sin. How spiritual of you. That kind of locks in with my unconscious theology until I realize that in that moment, in Luke chapter four, the miraculous catch of fish, Jesus is revealing who he is and Simon's response is to look at himself. And that's natural, that's normal, that makes sense. But so often I think I miss the revelation of God in my life because as soon as I sense his presence, my first thought is, oh, but I'm so broken. And as spiritual as that thought is, and as useful as it might even be for my own healing and growth, what it does is take my attention off of my Savior, off of the Lord, off of the Jesus who's on the shore or in the boat with me, and it puts it right on myself. In the moment of God's presence with me, I am so quick to turn away from looking at him and just look at how messed up and ugly and broken my soul is. And I miss him. Something has happened to Simon where in the moment where his failure is fresh in his mind, he sees Jesus and instead of trying to put distance and consider his own sin, he doesn't even bring up his own sin and he runs to Jesus. I don't know what I need. I don't know where I'm at. You might be mad. I know I'm mad at me, but what I do know is I need to get close to you. Now, 
You are the person I need to be in contact with. You're the one I need to consider. You're the thing I need to think about. You're the thing I need to look at. It's you, Jesus. It's always been you. It's all about you. We'll deal with my sin however you want to deal with my sin. But in this moment, I will not let my sin stand between me and you. When my sin stands between me and God, I have the suspicion that it's not God that put it there between us. It's me. I'm like, no, 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 God, don't come too close. I'm bad. No, 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 God, don't come too close. Let me fix this sin problem first. When in John chapter 21, Simon just jumps overboard and gets close to Jesus as soon as he can. I've heard it put like this. The difference between sonship or being a child of God and religion is this. Religion says, I really messed up. I better not tell dad. And sonship says, I really messed up. I gotta go talk to dad. The idea being that it's a very simplistic way to put this idea of um, there comes a point in our journey with Jesus when we realize that not only does our sin not have to separate us from him, but nearness with him is the only real solution to our brokenness. And so often my own sense, my own real sense, my own like verified factual sense of my own unworthiness, like I have data, I have evidence of how unworthy I am, y'all. My own sense of my unworthiness has kept me from the presence of God that wants to walk into my ordinary life. And this moment, they, they don't miss Jesus in the ordinary because they're not, at least Simon's not allowing his memory of his recent failure, his active memory of failure, he's not allowing that to keep him at a distance from the risen Jesus. There's another interesting thing that happens, which is that this miraculous catch of fish happens, and Simon is seeing it occur, but who is it who recognizes Jesus? It says it's the disciple that Jesus loved, probably the writer John. It says, look, it's the Lord. This is interesting to me because Simon, for whatever reason, wasn't the one to say, oh, I know, that's Jesus. Oh, big catch of fish, I've been here before, that must be Jesus. It's somebody who Simon is in the boat with. It's his coworker. It's his church friend. It's, it's his Bible study partner. It's the person that he's been following Jesus with for years who says, Simon, I think that's Jesus and points out the presence of the risen Jesus on the shore in the middle of an ordinary workday. It's important for Simon to have somebody around him who can point out, there he is, that's him, that's Jesus. And then Simon responds by jumping over the side and swimming as fast as he can to the shore. This is just a reminder to me that um, if I want to see Jesus in my ordinary everyday life, I need to be living that ordinary everyday life with other followers of Jesus. Not necessarily exclusively, like I hope that I have people in my life who aren't followers of Jesus, but it's like important to me to have an ongoing everyday humdrum, regular day in day out experience where I'm connecting with people who love and follow Jesus. This happens to me all the time. Can I, can I, just, can I tell you about my Monday nights? Josh, can I tell them about my Monday nights? Josh is my next door neighbor and dear, dear friend. And, uh, 
And every Monday night, we do what we call Mississippi Mondays. We live like right down here, a few blocks. And so every Monday night, he and I will walk to Mississippi Street over here and, um, and just choose a place to sit down and have a drink and just like spill our guts to each other. And so often what happens is this. I'll tell Josh all the ways that I'm failing, that my life is falling apart, that I'm a loser, blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll go through my whole list of data points and be like, see, it's not going well. And without fail, Josh will listen with like a little smile on his face. And he doesn't deny like the bad stuff or the things that I've maybe have done wrong or whatever. But um, he'll listen with a little smile on his face. And when I'm done, he'll be like, hmm. And he'll often say something like this, man, wow, what a week. How is that not just like a win though? Don't you just see Jesus all over that? And I'll, and I'll, I'll first kind of be like, wait, what? what? We've gone through this ritual so many times, I should be used to it by now, but I'm like, wait, no, I just told you all the ways that everything's bad and that I'm bad. And he's like, yeah, but don't you see Jesus all over it? And I see like you responding to Jesus. Like I just, I see it. God is working in your life. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. And far from that making me be like, oh, well, I, I guess everything's fine then. I'll just do whatever I want and be whatever I want and whatever, whatever. Far from that being my response, my response is, you mean he's here? Like here? In the week I just had and in the week I have ahead, you mean he's here? I can like go be with him now? And far from making me like excuse all of my behavior or not work on the problems that I want to get better in my life or not try to like fix my career issues or whatever, far from that, it actually just makes me want to get close to Jesus and it gives me a motivation I could never get in and of myself to like live life well. It actually, it, what it does is it gives me hope. It gives me hope for my life. It gives me hope for myself. It gives me hope that like not only can my life become more like the kingdom of God, but my soul can become more like Jesus. And, and, and things like, there's, there's hope for me. Because I'll come on a Monday thinking, maybe, maybe there isn't. Maybe it's gone. And, and my dear friend will point out the presence of Jesus to me. Now, before you all go and try to set up your own night with Josh Knapp, there are people all around you who can see Jesus in your life better than you can. I don't know why, but for some reason, we're just not very good at seeing the presence of God, especially not in the humdrum and ordinary. I don't know why, but in order for us to see it, he usually has to shake us pretty hard. But you know who's really good at seeing Jesus in your life? And literally anybody you're sitting next to. If you share the ordinary, daily, every day of your life, and you listen to the response, you'll hear people all around you in your church community saying, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is, it is the Lord. Look, it's the Lord. And we begin to be able to see Jesus working, moving, showing up, bringing resurrection life into the ordinary moments of our day, even at the breakfast table. Can I have the worship team come back up? This gives me a lot of hope um, because uh, I know Jesus does miracles. I know Jesus does supernatural stuff. I need him to. Oh man, I need him to. Without the supernatural breaking into the, the ordinary and everyday, I think, there's, I think we're all lost, you know? There's no resurrection in that case. Uh, but I'm also given great hope by the fact that just because uh, my day and my, my day in, day out life seem pretty ordinary, it doesn't mean Jesus isn't there. 
doesn't mean Jesus isn't working. And I even love like Jesus gave us, when Jesus gave us rituals, he didn't give us like incense and fancy lights and like big production value rituals. You know what he gave us? Like really ordinary things to practice on a regular basis. So he gives us something like, like baptism. What is baptism? Well, it's just like wa- it's water. It's like either going in the water or getting water on you or like what? It's water. Jesus is like, hey, here's, here's, some, here's a stream. Here's the Jordan River. Here's water. Should we make it into a ritual? Should we do this? Likewise, he gives us a really ordinary ritual. They're at a table in the upper room with food and wine on it. And he says, hey, you know what this food and wine is? This, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. This wine is the, the blood of the new covenant, which I have spilled for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me as often as you eat and drink this. And what he's saying is, on a regular basis, eat and drink and do it to remember him. As a human being, I have this born disease of forgetfulness. I always forget. Right. Oh, I forgot, Jesus. You're here. You're here in the bread and the cup. You're here. And these sorts of rituals of communion and other things that Jesus taught us to practice, these are like little signposts in my day. See, the disciples had eyes to see Jesus in the ordinary, I think because they weren't blinded by their own shame and sin. I think because they were living in community and could point things to each other. But I think also because they engaged in a very simple ritual which was to allow Jesus to break the bread and hand it out to them. And in that daily, ordinary, kind of humdrum rhythm, they saw the risen Christ. So we're gonna do this ritual right now, this communion ritual, to, uh, to just remember Jesus' actual presence with us, which is, which is a presence that we get to experience because of what he's done through his broken body and his spilled blood. That's why we get to experience this presence. But it also, I think, as we take this communion, consider, like, you might have rituals in the rest of your life, too. I think that's the third way we experience God in the ordinary, is by rhythms. And if the word ritual freaks you out, just think rhythm. Rhythms of prayer, of, of maybe taking communion on your own at home. Maybe making your breakfast a communion every day. Little rituals or, or rhythms of like reading scripture. Little, little rhythms and rituals of like a cup of tea and a quiet walk. Where we can have these moments in our day where we start to see the risen Christ in the midst of the ordinary. He's here. He's here. Let's remember that by taking the bread and the juice. Uh, Gluten free is on this side if you need that. I'm going to pray. And then uh, we'll do one last song and the tables will be open. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that uh, you are not only with us in the dramatic and supernatural moments, but that um, the supernatural actually breaks into the ordinary. Jesus, lift the daily, day in, day out rhythms of my life. Lift them out of just an earthly perspective, a materialistic perspective, lift them to a place where they're full of your presence. 
May I see every day, all day long, as a potential sacred space where you might show up. Would you help me not to let my sin and shame and guilt over my sin block me from you? Instead, would you give me the grace to let it drive me towards you? Would you help me to live my ordinary life in community with people and to listen to them when they point out your presence? Jesus, would you help me continue? Man, I need help with this one, Jesus. Would you help me continue to build rhythms into my life where I see you in the midst of the ordinary? Love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.